Okay. So we are in Parsha Sam on Tuesday's portion. We are continuing enumerating details on the various offerings, and today we're beginning by looking at peace offerings. The peace offering is an offering that a part is given to God, a part is given to the priest, and a part is consumed by the owner. And the first peace offering that we're focusing on is a thanksgiving offering. So we are in chapter 7, verse 11. This is the law of the sacrifice of the peace offering that one will offer to God. You shall offer it for a thanksgiving offering. With the sacrifice of the thanksgiving offering, shall he offer unleavened loaves mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and loaves of scalded fine flour mixed with oil. So we're discussing here this Thanksgiving offering, and Rashi explains that basically there's four categories. Rashi's actually commenting on the psalm that each verse refers to one of these four categories for which one is a Thanksgiving offering. If you had a miracle, you had deliverance from a perilous situation, for seafarers, for those traveling deserts, those confined in prisons, and for a sick person who's healed. So for each of these four categories, they have to give thanks to God. Now, as we see here, there's the offering and then there's the bread that comes with the offering. Now, a Thanksgiving carbon, Thanksgiving offering is different than regular peace offerings because you can only eat it for one day and a night, as verses as we'll see, other offerings. You have a day, a night, and the following day. But here, it's a shorter period of time. In a day and a night, you have to consume everything. So with this offering, you have four types of bread. You have three types that we would call matzah, loaves of matzah, and wafers of matzah, and scalded batter, for scalded and baked, and matzah. And in addition, there's also one type of what we would consider bread, leavened bread. Each type has 10 loaves. So in other words, there's a total of 40 loaves here, of which, as we're going to learn, one goes to the priest of every 10, and the others go to the owner. And then Rashi gives the weight, so that which he says the total volume was five in of Jerusalem, which is equivalent to six in that are used by the Jews in the desert. Because the sages enlarged the coin, the sa'a, by 20%. Each original sa'a was only five-sixths of the counterpart. So this new measurement was called the sa'a of Jerusalem. It's a standard measurement used in the early Shnak time. The five Jerusalem sa'as are really six desert sa'as. So we have matzahs that are loaves, we have matzahs that are wafers, we have matzahs that are scalded. So the mixture, Rashi explains, it seems that maybe just the flour was scalded. That's what it would seem based on the verse. So the Rashi clarifies that no, the mixture, meaning the flour-oil mixture, is scalded. With loaves of leavened bread shall he bring his offering with a sacrifice of his thanksgiving peace offering. So here, besides the three types of matzah, we also have another fourth type, which is 
literally bread, which is, as I said, very, very unusual in a temple to have something that is leavened, that is chametz. And based on the exact precise wording of the verse, we see that this bread, these breads, only become holy when the sacrifice that accompanies it, that they are accompanying, is offered, slaughtered. Until that time, it doesn't have that same level of holiness as a sacrifice. From it he shall offer one from each offering a portion to God. It shall belong to the priest who throws the blood of the peace offering. So we said there's four types of bread here. Three mouths and one what we call bread. So of each type, we said there's ten loaves. So the priest is getting one of the ten, and the other nine are giving to the owners. That's in terms of the the bread offerings. In terms of the meat itself that he's offering, well, the meat generally goes to the owner, except for the breast and the thigh that goes to the priest. And the flesh of the sacrifice of his thanksgiving peace offering must be eaten on the day of his offering. He may not leave any of it over until the morning. So this is true for the sacrifice of the thanksgiving peace offering. It's also, based on the wording here, includes the sin offering and the guilt offering and the ram of the nazir and the festival offering that's coming up on the 14th of Nisan, the Karim Pesach, the Paschal offering. All of these also are eaten only for a day and a night, unlike most offerings that we get a day and a night and a following day. And just as the meat can only be eaten for a day and a night, also the bread, those four types of breads, also have to be consumed in that first day it was offered until the following night. He can't leave it over till morning, but he could eat it the entire night. But our sages say he has to finish at midnight, and the reason for that is because we don't want to tell a person he can eat it all night, but finish before I don't know, dawn, sunbreak, whatever you want to say, because it's too easy to mess up. You can all probably relate to that concept, just sort of cutting the edge close. Like, oh, what time is Shabbos? Like, okay, that means I have to my candles within X number of seconds, which actually gets pushed over, and then the person inevitably lights late. So similarly, to make sure the person should end up eating, God forbid, for the sacrifice after the time, our sages push the time forward until midnight, a Jewish midnight. But if the sacrifice of his offering is for a vow or a donation, in other words, not a thanksgiving, it's a different type, it must be eaten on the day he offered his sacrifice, and on the next day, which was left over from it, may be eaten. So now we switch to a different type of offering, not a thanksgiving offering, for one of these four categories of miracles, but this different type, this is a vow and a donation that we're saying here, but we're saying here the vow and donation is not coming because of the, so to speak, obligation you had to give thanks for deliverance and for a miracle. Meaning, we're trying to clarify here, is a thanksgiving offering could not truly be called obligatory because the Thanksgiving offering is coming as viewed as a vow or donation, which are optional. But since God did for you this miracle and this deliverance, you do feel obliged to give the Thanksgiving offering. But now we're discussing offerings that have absolutely no obligation whatsoever. It's purely coming from your will. 
And here, therefore, we see the difference that, as Rashi says, if it's not for the miracle, one, it doesn't require the bread, and two, it can be eaten for two days, the day and the night and the day. Then Rashi goes into the, the Hebrew here, explaining why there is this seemingly superfluous prefix, love. What is left over from the flesh of the sacrifice shall be burnt in the fire on the third day. So here, you had a day and a night and a day, and then you still didn't finish. That's left over would then get burnt on the next day. If some of the flesh of the sacrifice of the offering will be eaten on the third day, it does not appease. The one who offers it may not intend it. It remains rejected. A soul that eats of it shall bear its sin. What's, what's being referred to here is if during the time of the slaughtering of the animal, the sacrifice, the person thought to do what's forbidden and to eat it on the third day. They have a day, a night, and a day. And he, for some reason, is thinking, well, it's Sunday now, and therefore I would have, let's say, the, the entire rest of Sunday and Sunday night and the whole Monday, and I'm thinking I want to eat this meat on Tuesday. That invalidates the offering. So even though I'm now eating it on Sunday, which is completely inappropriate time to eat it, but it's still invalid because that original thought made it invalid completely. It doesn't make a difference if in the end I actually consumed it between Sunday and Sunday and Monday. The entire offering is invalid because of that thought. And someone who's eating of it, again, even with a normally the time, bearing its sin. What flesh that touches anything impure may not be eaten till they burn in fire, but of the flesh that is not impure, any pure person may eat that flesh. So here we're saying, if you have here this peace offering, something holy, it touches something impure, well now you can't eat it. But, the second phrase, if you have you have the animal. But a limb of the animal went outside the area it was required to eat in. So that part that went outside became disqualified. But the rest of the animal that stayed on the inside is permitted to be eaten. Now the final phrase in this verse said, any pure person meet the flesh, meaning... Since the verse said, the blood of your offering shall be poured on the altar and the flesh you shall eat, you could think that only the owner could eat the peace offering. Therefore, it says, any pure person may eat it. Now, another way Rashi is explaining these words on a different level, Rashi is saying that anything I forbade you regarding the sin offering and the guilt offering, that it went beyond the curtains of the courtyard of the tent of meeting, they're forbidden. So regarding the flesh of this peace offering, God is saying any pure person meet the flesh, even in the entire city, even in the entire wall city of Jerusalem, anywhere. A person who eats flesh from the sacrifice of the peace offering, that is God, while his impurity is upon him, that soul shall be cut off from its people. So here we're talking about the impurity of the body. What we were talking about in the previous verse was that the item, the offering, became impure. But here we're saying the person's impure, the eater's impure. 
So a pure person who ate that which is impure, often that becomes impure, is, does not have this severe punishment of curse, of excision of the soul. It's a negative commandment that he is defiling here, that he is violating. Now, you could say, what about the commandment of someone who's impure eating something pure? Well, that's not stated explicitly in the Torah. That's derived through Xerah Shava, which is a method that we derive information because we have something stated explicitly with regard to one t- context and it's applied to another context or an identical word or phrase into context. Now we have here, though, about this transgression, excision, courage. And Rashi points out that we have three times courage, excision said, regarding eating something holy while there's a state of impurity of the body. So why do we have this written three times? Our sages say one is for the general rule, one is for the specific, and one is to teach about ascending and descending offerings. And the Torah is saying there that it's brought only, we're talking about this fluctuating, it's brought only for causing impurity of the temple and its holiness. If a person touches any impurity, human impurity, animal carcasses impurity, any impure carcass, and he eats from the flesh of a sacrifice of a peace offering that is God's after he ate this impure thing, then that soul will be cut off from its people. <laughs>